Hello and welcome to Dyslexics Wanted, celebrating the unique strengths and creativity so often the hallmark of people with dyslexia. This is Jordan Rich, and the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia is inviting you to join this podcast. If you or someone you care about has a story to tell, we'd consider featuring it right here on the Dyslexics Wanted podcast. Send us your story, email us, jordan at chartproductions.com, or call and leave a message, 781-356-1500. Today's guest is Heather Casca. She's a dyslexia specialist and director of speech and language and dyslexia services at Way to Grow, a pediatric therapy practice in Arizona. There, therapists are focused on encouraging functional independence, healthy living skills, and improving the quality of life in children living with dyslexia, autism, developmental delays, learning disabilities of all kinds, and much, much more. Let's meet Heather Casca. And I'll begin with this question. Um, you've dedicated yourself and your career to helping children with dyslexia, and we thank you for that. How does speech pathology enter into the dyslexia equation? So what we know about um, dyslexia is that it is a language-based learning disability. So as a speech-language pathologist, that's kind of our area of expertise then is language. Um, and if you look at the breakdown of dyslexia, it's a breakdown in that phonological component of the, um, of language. And so that's our background as a speech-language pathologist. We have um, a lot of experience just evaluating kids um, and doing a little bit deeper analysis of their overall language skills. So um, research has shown that there's a lot of early risk factors, and these kids can be identified mm -hmm. as early as, you know, five preschool, you know, preschool-age kids. And most of the time, speech-language pathologists are going to be the first professionals to encounter these kids due to, like, delayed speech and language skills. Um, and some of those are, and those are some of those early warning factors for dyslexia. In general, what do you look for when you're advising parents and taking a look at kids at an early age? What kinds of signs, in more specific detail, do they uh, show? So one of the first things that I always ask families is if there's a history of um, speech language or learning difficulties. Um, I learned really early on not to ask, ask specifically about a history of dyslexia in the family because I was finding eight, nine times out of ten I would get the answer no, but then as our conversation and interview continued, um, I'd get information like, oh, his dad, you know, really didn't like school or his dad, you know, received special services in school for reading or writing or whatever that may be. So um, family history, we do know dyslexia is genetic, so family history is um, really important to know. Um, we also just look at overall uh, difficulties with speech and language, so uh, difficulties pronouncing sounds and words, especially words that are longer in complexity and syllable shapes, that's an, a big warning sign. And then just late talking if ch um, a child develops their language skills late. So those are things that we specifically look at. And as parents come in and we start to identify these speech and language impairments, we just like to educate families that this is, you know, something we want to continue to monitor, especially as they go through school and start to have more direct instruction in reading. Because research has shown that um, kids with speech and language skills um, can go on to struggle with reading instruction. We're talking about sort of a culture now that's very insulated. Uh, when I was a young kid and when I was a young dad, I was reading stories to my kids and my parents read to me. Is that a, a factor here, the fact that perhaps more children are not getting that kind of parental attention? Not when it comes 
comes to dyslexia, again, dyslexia is more of that. There is a genetic component, and research has shown, you know, brain scans that there is just the way our brain's wired. It's different. Um, it's So true dyslexia is not a result of, like, environmental, where kids' families aren't reading to kids. Now, that doesn't mean that that trend of families aren't spending more time with their kids and reading to them, that doesn't mean that definitely impacts their language skills, which can then impact their reading and writing skills, of course. But um, a true dyslexic, it, there's a genetic component. So right. regardless, many of these kids have had great environmental um, situations where families do read to them a lot. So I think there's a difference that doesn't, again, that doesn't mean that a so child where you know, maybe their parents didn't read to them as much. They are at a greater risk of having later difficulties. Um, but even kids with dyslexia, they're, even though their parents have read to them, that's not going to, or haven't read to them, that wouldn't change, if that makes sense. It does. It does make sense. And it also lifts some of the burden of guilt that people might feel, uh, parents yeah, especially. Absolutely. absolutely. And I think, and we get that a lot too. Like sometimes families and parents will be like, was this my fault? Is this some, something I should have done differently? And it's really important that when it comes to dyslexia, it's not. Um, again, we do know that reading to your children and that one-on-one -on -one engagement and playtime is so important for their language development. And so if a child is delayed with language, we know that they're at risk for later reading difficulties. But um, in terms of dyslexia specifically, that isn't something where it's like the parent's fault. We're talking about language, a key component in anyone's development, but certainly in the development of a child with dyslexia. And I think, I mean, just in general, speech and language is really important because that's how we communicate. So um, articulation, obviously, for kids to be able to express and meet their, get their wants and needs met appropriately if someone can't understand them, um, then that's going to be frustrating for them as well as their listener and then overall language development. So, I mean, when we say language, it's a very broad term because mm. there's so many different areas that fall under that. Mm -hmm. um, but, it, I mean, it is important for all areas of life, including academics. So if a child is struggling with language, they're really, you're going to start to see that struggle and them struggle in school. And that can be like following directions from the teacher or just understanding lessons and concepts being taught to their ability to um, effectively like communicate their needs in school and complete any academic tasks. And it leads, of course, to emotional trauma as well. If you can't express yourself the way you'd like and you feel frustrated or maybe even put upon by other students, it, it can really cascade. Yeah, it can. And we see that a lot, too, with, especially as our, even with our toddlers as they start to get to a certain age. And if they're delayed in any speech and language development, it gets to the point where they start to um, get frustrated. And you see that manifest in you know negative behaviors where they um, you know, may start hitting or, or biting or crying, you know, and throwing fits because they can't effectively communicate. Mm. And how critical is it to detect dyslexia and other learning disabilities early in a child's development? Early identification for, I think, any disorder is key, but especially, I mean, with speech and language, um, you definitely want to identify those kids as early on and get them the intervention needed, and especially with kids with dyslexia, too. I think one barrier that we run into is a lot of the deficits that they have are considered developmental, you know, through kindergarten and first grade, but it's really looking at the child as a whole and those early warning signs, risk factors, and family history that kind of helps you identify those kids that mm. are at a higher risk for dyslexia or fit that profile of a child with dyslexia. So um, early identification is really important. And again, going back to 
speech-language pathologists, we're often those first professionals that will come in contact with them because of those speech and language impairments. Mm. And, I mean, we can see kids as early as one or two for that come, may come in because they're not talking or um, not even babbling appropriately as infants. So There's certainly something to be said for people who have, uh, young people who have difficulty forming words or um, with enunciation, but what about placement of words and sentences? Is We know that dyslexics have difficulty reading. Uh, words don't look right, and they might not be in the right place in their head. What about speech at an early age? Do you notice that with kids? If kids have a hard time, like, with word order in, like, yes. the sentence structure. Yes. Yeah, so that can definitely be something that we see in kids, and that would fall more under, like, a syntax realm of mm-hmm. communication or of language. And so that's, um, like, that overall sentence structure. And that is another um, area that you can see impacted in kids with dyslexia. And that obviously will then manifest into their writing as well. We were very impressed when we took a look at what your organization is all about, Way to Grow. It's in Arizona in the Phoenix metro area. Tell us a little bit about how the the center is set up. And you know, obviously, you're approaching this from a lot of different angles. But what's your main thrust here for children? So Way to Grow, we are um, a pediatric clinic and we offer um, speech, occupational, and physical therapy services. So we're a sensory-based clinic. Our occupational therapists specialized in um, sensory processing disorders. And so from the speech side and working with the OTs, we just, and PTs, there's a lot of collaboration that goes on in our facility. So we um, are very big on the holistic approach and looking at the child as a whole. And so the way our clinic is set up, we do have a couple of smaller rooms for services. All of our services are provided one-on-one, but it is the way this clinic is set up, it allows for us to really collaborate with each other and to even allow the children to have that peer interaction so we can also be working on pragmatic mm-hmm. skills. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've found is just with the collaboration that we have is kind of not just like bouncing ideas off each other, but making sure we're getting a whole picture of the child. So a lot of kids with dyslexia also benefit from OT services, whether that was, mm-hmm. is with fine motor um, skills, motor coordination, or even any like visual perceptual difficulties they may be having. And that's where the sensory-based gym comes in handy. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I don't know how I can do it explaining that just because that's not necessarily my area of expertise. But um, in terms of the sensory gym, it, what we've found and how it affects our children with speech is it just allows and it gives us tools too to help manage their Um, ability to focus and attend to tasks and help the children themselves like regulate their own needs and understand what they need to be able to focus on Mm. on academic work or things that we're working on in speech or even just giving tools to the family to help them outside. So let me ask you to take a look at the whole picture when it comes to dyslexia and other learning disabilities. I mean, we're making advances in how we detect it. Uh, Are we doing well in terms of treating it and helping kids with it in your estimation? How do we how do we fare now? Um, I think we are definitely getting getting better. I, again, I think just the past few years, there's just been so much more education um, revolving around dyslexia. I do think there are still a lot of misconceptions um, out there that may limit the effectiveness of the treatment, but I definitely think that we're headed in the right direction. Um, there, I know there are so many great centers all over the country and even just within our um, region, like our state and the Phoenix metro area, there's so many great 
clinics and um, centers that focus on dyslexia. But I think, again, it just goes back to making sure everyone's really getting that whole picture of the child Mm -hmm. to address all the areas of need. Just addressing some specific areas isn't going to be, you know, you're not going to have those long-term benefits. I'm also involved in, like, the International Dyslexia Association, our Arizona branch, and it's just to see number of people that are interested and wanting to get involved and help these children um, lately has been really incredible. And so I definitely think that there's a lot of, we know that there's a big need out there and there's a lot of people interested in helping now. Well, I mentioned the website at the beginning of the program in the introduction. I'll do it again. It's way to grow az for Arizona, way to grow az.com. And uh, we were most impressed when we discovered you and you discovered us. Sharing a little bit of your story and what you're doing on this podcast is one step in that direction of helping kids everywhere. So can't thank you enough, Heather, for your time and more importantly, for the work you're doing. Thanks once again for listening to Dyslexics Wanted. We're seeking personal stories about your dyslexia journey and would love to hear from you. If you or someone you care about have a story to tell, we would consider featuring it on this podcast. Send the story to me, Jordan, that's J-O-R-D-A-N, Jordan at chartproductions.com. Chart is spelled C-H-A-R-T. We'd love to hear from you. Remember to subscribe, download, rate, and review this podcast, available on all major web platforms. And once again, for much more, visit WICD.org. That's WICD.org.